Let's pray together before we look at the scripture. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are so grateful to be in this school. Uh, You relocated us abruptly a few weeks ago and took us from one Northeast school to another Northeast school. But you've taught us over the last nine years to pray for your peace, for your shalom, for your well-being to be in any space where we worship. So it's our privilege this month to be praying for Northeast Middle School, for the kids who are here right now going to school during the week, and the kids who will be here in the fall, and the teachers and the administrators. God, may they be blessed with your presence and with your guidance. May all the kids know how much you love them. May they have what they need to learn and to grow and to fulfill the potential that you designed them to have. It's our privilege to pray on their behalf this month. We thank you for allowing us to worship here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in this conversation called Steps of Faith. And we want to make sure that you don't think that steps of faith means climbing up a ladder or climbing up a staircase. We're talking about steps as you're moving forward, as you're walking through your life, as you're journeying through your life, and you're trying to follow Jesus with your life. You're taking one step after another. Maybe sometimes it feels like you're going backwards. We want to collectively, as a church, be going forwards and following Jesus with our lives. So whether you're in a season of encouragement or doubt or joy or frustration, we want to choose to take steps forward together, and that's what this teaching series is about. And so every day we choose to take steps forward in our faith in Christ, and as a church we try to celebrate some of these steps. So some of the steps we're going to be talking about over this month are one J.D. talked about last week, which is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today we'll talk about baptism, and then we'll be talking about taking communion and becoming a covenant member and being committed to a reconciled relationship with God and each other. And so when we take, talk about these steps of faith, uh, as we're choosing to follow Jesus, we want to make sure that we're not indicating that you've arrived, right? We're all on a journey. We're walking together. We're just trying to take the next step. So if you're here this morning and you feel like you're really struggling in your relationship with Jesus, We just want to encourage you to take the next step, to take a step of faith and to keep walking in a path that follows in his teaching. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, the step of faith that we refer to as baptism. And if you don't know what baptism is, it's uh, a practice that many churches share where you go to a body of water uh, if you're an adult and you're lowered into that water and you're brought back up as a symbol of your acceptance of Christ's death and resurrection in your life. So when I was baptized, I was 10 years old. And I was baptized in this enormous, historic Baptist church right downtown Minneapolis, which has now been there more than 150 years. And I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that, but some of these churches were built anticipating they were going to baptize lots of people. So they have this little space that's called the baptismal. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So it's a, if you're 10, it's a secret pool. Okay, And they don't tell you about the secret pool until you're ready to be baptized. And they're like, if it were here, it would kind of be in the back of this stage. You would open some doors that were in a wall, and then all of a sudden there's a tiny swimming pool in there, which is bizarre if you're 10, right? It's bizarre if you're 40, too, probably. So the way that they, they told us or taught us at the time was if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've received Jesus in your heart, then the next step is to get baptized. And to get baptized... You have to put on these funny clothes, walk into the secret pool. Everyone in the church is going to be watching you. 
And then you have to talk to them and tell them why you want to be baptized, why Jesus is important to you in your life. So when they started pitching this to me when I was like six or seven, I just thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. There's no way I'm getting in the tiny pool and talking to everyone. It seemed like an outrageous thing to do. By the time I was 10, either I, um, I had gotten over some of my fears or I'd just gotten enough courage to get in and to look at all these people in this historic church and say, here's why Jesus is important to me, and this is why I'm being baptized. And they dunked me in the tiny pool, and I got out, and they threw me a party, and there was a cake, and it was amazing, right? So some of you in this room have been baptized. You can kind of remember your baptism story if you're somebody who's been baptized. If you've not been baptized, today's the perfect day to learn about why you might want to consider taking that step of faith in your life. Mill City is a very diverse church in terms of where we come from. Some of us don't come from any church background. Some of us come from various different traditions. So some of you who are sitting there today will have been baptized as infants before you can even remember your baptism. That your parents decided in a Catholic church or a Lutheran church or a Presbyterian church or some other Episcopal church that you were going to be baptized as an infant, and you were sprinkled, and they threw a party, and you can't remember it, and you didn't have to go in the tiny secret pool, so you're feeling good about that. Some of you were baptized, like I was, maybe as a kid, to confirm that you'd made this decision to follow Jesus with your life. Some of you were baptized as adults as a way to say, I became a Christian in my life, and I want to affirm that. I was never baptized by my parents. I was not baptized as a kid. So I got baptized in whatever church I was part of at the time. And some of you have never been baptized, and today's a good day for that to learn. So here at Mill City, here's how I want to describe what, the way in which we're approaching baptism. If you can put that on the screen for me, Adam. Here with Mill City, we believe that baptism is a step of faith you take to publicly declare your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. So just take a look at that with me for a second. We believe that baptism is a step of faith that you take to publicly declare your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And as I look at Scripture today, I want to point out to you the problems that we have when one of the last two lines are overemphasized or ignored. If we only understand baptism as being about the forgiveness of your sins, then we miss the part of actually joining what God's doing in your life right now. And in Scripture, actually, at several points in the story of the new churches, it says all they knew was John's baptism of forgiveness. They didn't realize that the Holy Spirit had anything to do with it, and they corrected that. And if all we do is talk about God's guidance and leadership in your life right now, and you never have to wrestle with your struggles or your sins or your, or your faults, then we're ignoring a huge part of the grace that God's offered to us in the gospel. So we're going to talk about each part briefly and then kind of bring them together as we share communion with us at the end of the service. So let's take a look at Jesus' baptism today and see why baptism is such an important and essential step of faith for us to take. So to understand Jesus' baptism, you have to understand John the Baptist, who's his cousin. John is a prophet who's received a word from God to share with everyone else. If you're a kid, let me describe John to you, okay? John is Jesus' crazy cousin who lives in the desert and wears wild animal clothes, eats bugs and honey, 
and kind of yells sermons at people. That's what he does. You got that, Isaac? Right, Isaac already knew that. So he's your crazy, he's Jesus' crazy cousin, and he's out and he's living in the desert and he's yelling these sermons, and people are coming out to hear what he said. He's this very different person with a message that has variations on the same theme, which is simply, you need to repent from your sins and receive God's forgiveness for you. So let me read this story kind of slowly, and you can see where John, the thrust of John's message comes through. In, the days, in those days, John the Baptist came. Sorry, I screwed up too. It was because the musicians played the wrong song earlier, and now I'm reading the wrong text. That one's for later. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysantius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah in the Old Testament, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers! That's a real attractional way to get people interested in your speaking. Tough crowd. You warn, you, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That's their excuse. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You can kind of see the people sort of cowering, right? This, the bug-eating guy is yelling at them and telling them they're in a lot of trouble, and so this is what they say. What should we do then? The crowd asks. John answers. Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied to them, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So in the beginning of this passage, Jesus is approaching his baptism with John. 
It tells us that John is in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So you have to imagine all these Israelites coming out into the desert to meet with John and to hear him. And what he's saying to them is, you have lost track of your identity as God's people. The Israelites for centuries and centuries as the Jewish people, as God's chosen people, knew that they were God's children. That wasn't a question for them. What John's saying is, the way you're living your life is not in line with what it means to be the children of God. Not only have you fallen down in some moral ways, you've also fallen down in your your identity as a conduit of blessing for everyone else in the world. You've become a lake and you're supposed to be a river. And so the Israelites are coming out and they're hearing John and they are receiving his baptism. You have to understand what they're receiving. They're trying to say, we're remembering our identity as the children of God and we want to repent, which just means to turn away from the things that we've been doing that are not in line with who God is and what God wants for us. And we're going to reorient ourselves through God's forgiveness to being who God created us to be the children of God. And so John is lowering them into the water. A huge part of their understanding is to remain clean, physically and spiritually clean. He's lowering them into the water, bringing them back up as if to say, now you've got a fresh start. Go back and live in accordance with who you are. And people are coming out in throngs to hear his message and to receive this forgiveness. I just want to pause for a minute and say, how humbling is it to have to ask for forgiveness from anyone. Can you remember a time where you actually had to go to someone face-to-face and say, I'm sorry, I've messed up, I need you to forgive me? Most of us avoid those situations at all costs, right? I have lists of self-justifications I can use to avoid that situation. These people are coming out in crowds, and there's a bug-eating guy yelling at them, saying... You have gone down the wrong road. You are not living according to who you are. And they have to humbly admit, not just privately, not just in their own room, not in their own home, yeah, we're on the wrong track. They have to walk out in front of their friends and neighbors and say, yeah, I need to be baptized because I need a fresh start. And the heart of that humility and that forgiveness that God offers us It's what makes Christianity so beautiful, in my opinion, because it means that every person in this room needs forgiveness in the same amount and that we're all equal in God's sight. That we're all coming into this as people whose identity has been forgotten on some level, that we were all created as God's children, but sin has infected our lives and affected our culture and infected our workplaces and our neighborhoods and and caused us to walk down some wrong roads. That's actually what brings us all together. That we can admit that and go, yeah, I've messed up. I I have to own it. And I need to be forgiven. I need to be made clean. I need to be redirected. That's part of why I come to enter into God's presence. So then in verses 4 to 6, he quotes Isaiah, which is a passage that simply says, there's going to be some preparation work that has to happen before the Messiah can come. And John is claiming for himself, I'm the guy who's calling out that we need to prepare the way for the Lord. It's my role to get you ready for when the real Messiah comes. They're starting to wonder if he is the Messiah. He says, no, my job is to get you ready. 
And so if you think about your daily life, you think about your life as a Christian or somebody who might be considering Christianity, there's a whole bunch of prep work that has to happen for us to really follow in the footsteps of God. There's daily prep work where you wake up and you have to start your day by orienting yourself to God so that all the different things that are going to be vying for your attention aren't the primary thing you're ordering your life around. That every single day we prepare our hearts and our minds to pay attention to God's leadership as the primary thing we're doing. To ask for forgiveness for anything we need forgiveness for so that we can be the people that God created us to be. He's calling these people out and saying, look, I'm not the Savior, but you have got to get ready for the Savior. You have to have your heart willing and open to receive what he's going to bring you when he comes. In verses 7 to 9, he says, uh, kind of accusatorily, you brood of vipers, and in Matthew's gospel, he's directing the brood of vipers at the religious leaders. It says that he's yelling at the religious leaders, but in Luke, he says he's yelling at everybody. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, let, me, let me tell you about why this is a really important phrase and not just an angry guy who eats bugs. He's calling out hypocrisy in these verses. Can you put those up for me, Adam, 7 through 9? He's calling out hypocrisy in these verses which everyone in the 21st century is also doing, calling out hypocrisy. He's saying, you sneaky people who claim to know who God is, but your life doesn't reflect God at all. Who told you to come out here and get a a fresh start? If you're not going to own the ways in which you have exploited people in the name of God, then you don't belong here. That's what he's saying in 21st century language. He, he says to them in the next verse, verse 8, you have to produce fruit that's in keeping with repentance. In other words, when I look at your life, something ought to be happening out of your life that looks like you're a forgiven person who understands that only by God's grace can you do anything. I ought to be able to point to something in your life that is bearing fruit in that particular direction. And then he cuts down their next argument and said, well, you're going to say that we have Abraham as our father. In other words, you know, we've been descendant from Abraham. We're God's chosen people. So whatever we're doing now is really doesn't matter that much. And in a really radical way, he says, it doesn't even matter if Abraham's your father. Father, Jesus can make sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham out of stones. So in the 21st century, we might say, look, my my parents were Lutherans. My grandparents were Lutherans. I've been in church my whole life. It seems like the youngest generation in the United States now is already rejecting any of these lineage claims. Like, it doesn't matter what your parents did or didn't do. It doesn't matter if you went to church your whole life. It doesn't matter if you were baptized as an infant and then ignored God for the rest of your life. What matters is what fruit is coming out of your life right now. What matters is your real-time, day-to-day relationship with Jesus and the influence that that's having in the world and in your families and in your relationships. He cuts down their arguments about their lineage and about their tradition. And then, and part of the reason I love this Luke version, is the people sort of say, okay, tell us what to do. And John gives them these super practical, everyday ways to respond as forgiven people. He says, look, 
Share your stuff. If you have two shirts and somebody else doesn't have any shirts, give them one. If you have more food than you need to eat, give it to people who need food to eat. If you're working as a tax collector, stop ripping people off. If you're working as a, in, the, in the military or in the police force, stop oppressing people and getting money from them that you don't need to get from them. Treat them fairly. Live justly. Address injustice. Use the power you have in your vocation to live the way that God wants you to live and help others to live in a fair way. Then the people start to point to John as the Messiah, and he says, no, 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 I am not the Messiah. I'm simply the means to a different end. Another one is coming whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He says, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, let's turn and and talk a little bit about what that means. So Jesus comes to John and asks to be baptized. And let me read you this story of Jesus' baptism in Matthew. It says, uh, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, Matthew chapter 3. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And so then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, as soon as Jesus was lowered into the Jordan River and brought back up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing on him, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. Just leave that verse up there for a second for me, Adam. So notice the difference. First of all, Jesus goes to get baptized by a guy who's preaching repentance for sins, right? Jesus has never sinned. So why does he need to be baptized? Why does he go to the Jordan River to, to listen to his crazy cousin John preach? and offer baptism. John knows this. John says, this doesn't line up. You're not, you're not responding correctly to the message. I'm trying to point out people's sins, and you don't have any. And Jesus responds and says, basically, I know you don't understand this, but let's do this anyway to fulfill what justice and righteousness needs to look like. And scholars are arguing all about what that means, but here's what I think it means. I think Jesus is aligning himself with us as people who are broken, even though he's not broken, the same way he aligns with us on the cross, even though he doesn't need to die on the cross. And so he enters into repentance, even though he has no sin to repent from. But when he comes up out of the water, his experience is different. That's what I want to focus on. He comes up out of that water, and he sees the Holy Spirit. And in other Gospels, it says, other people saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, landing on him, and the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. John was saying to the people, listen, I can help you repent from your sins, but you're caught in a cycle of sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting, and somebody who has a lot more power from you is going to come and break that cycle. He's going to come, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is going to offer a sacrifice that will be for everyone's sins for all time, 
for all the world. So that when you are forgiven once through faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven for all time. That's why we don't baptize people over and over and over again anymore. We baptize them once. And when he comes up out of that water, the Holy Spirit is on him. And in the next story, he's sent into the desert to face temptation. The blessing of the Holy Spirit sends Jesus into the world with a different kind of ministry and a different kind of calling. So when we think about baptism, if you can put that phrase up for me, Adam, that's towards the end of the slides. We believe that baptism is a step of faith you take to publicly declare your trust in Jesus. Yes, for the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes I hear people saying that the church in America is having a hard time calling out people's sins. If we take two seconds and list off the sins that you personally and I personally and we as the world are facing, we can make a pretty good list, can't we? Here's the list that I made for us today. And I don't mean this in any way as a judgment, but I think unless we're honest about what sins exist in our lives and what sins exist in the world, it's pretty tough to be about how the world could be better. So here's a list that I made. This took me two minutes. It seems like in the 21st century, lots of us are struggling with looking out primarily for ourselves instead of for other people. We have a self-focused culture. In the, in the United States, anyway, we have problems with runaway greed. You can nod your head at any point if you agree with me. You have, we have runaway greed. We have greed beyond greed where people who have plenty are only pursuing more. We have struggles with sexual ethics and sexual immorality. We have abuse. You have horrible statistics of people, the amount of people who experience sexual abuse and other forms of sexual immorality that are, that are unprecedented. We have situations where we are personally and corporately contributing to justice, where the poor, the widow, the orphan, the alien are not cared for the way the Bible describes. We, as a group and as individuals, are, are constantly guilty of ignoring God and making idols out of money, power, success, relationships, pleasure, fame, and the list goes on and on and on and on. We struggle with racism and treating people by the color of their skin rather than treating them as people who are created as the image of God. Those sins all exist in our individual lives and they also exist in the systems in which we all live in. Can, can someone please agree with that? Okay. We have to take personal responsibility for our sins and we have to take corporate responsibility for our sins and we have to look to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. But if that's the only thing we do and if you've been a part of a church where all they ever did was, was focus on how bad you were and how bad the world was, and how much we needed forgiveness, you left feeling really bad about yourself all the time. And if all you do is say baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, you're actually making a biblical error that is corrected in Acts where they say all they knew was John's baptism for repentance. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus comes up out of the water, every gospel account makes it clear. The most important point for a guy who didn't have any sins to repent of was that the Holy Spirit came on him different way. It wasn't the first time the Holy Spirit came on him. It came on him in a different way. And his identity was affirmed as the Son of God with whom his Father was pleased. 
So here's what, so desperate, here's what we so desperately need in the 21st century. Let me invite the band to come back up. Here's what we so desperately need. We need Christian communities. We need churches who are not afraid to say that we're all broken people in need of God's forgiveness, but also to reclaim our identity as sons and daughters of God who can receive the Holy Spirit into our lives to daily guide us to join the work that God is doing that starts right now and continues forever and ever into the future. I don't know why, and you guys hear me say this all the time, but for whatever reason, churches want to split these things up or overemphasize one against the other. You can see in the scripture that they go together. Jesus didn't get baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. Jesus got baptized to do more than that, to take John's baptism to the next step to say, You're all, you are all forgiven for all your sins if you receive forgiveness from me. And then, and also on top of that, in addition to the forgiveness of your sins, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The living God is going to live in you together and move in the world to proclaim the good news and remake all the things to fight evil and push sin back into a corner. And when Jesus died and was resurrected, he sends the Holy Spirit to the church and they receive it in all kinds of crazy ways and are launched on God's mission that continues today to save the world from the effects of sin and help everyone enter to the kingdom of God. That's our work. So when you come up here today to receive communion, I want you to embrace both of these things. I want you to come up with a heart that says, I know that I have sinned against God and probably in some ways I don't even understand. And I need to be open and let God forgive me. But I also want you to hear, if you receive that forgiveness, that the Holy Spirit is on your life. And God, for whatever reason, uses broken people to proclaim good news and to remake the world in small ways and in big ways through the power of God's Spirit that's been put on us because of what Jesus has done for us. If you've not been baptized, in two weeks, I can't imagine a better way to celebrate the fact that you have forgiven, you've received God's forgiveness for your sins and acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life than to be lowered into the powerful Mississippi River with the skyline of the city of Minneapolis, which we are committed to sharing the gospel with as Mill City Church, and to join that work publicly in your trust of Jesus Christ. We would love to talk to you about that, as Stephanie said. There are worksheets in the back on your way out. The ushers will have them if you want to grab a baptism worksheet. Email her, email me. We'd love to have you join us on the 6th. Let's pray together before we take communion. Jesus, it's hard to imagine what you have accomplished for us. We lose track of it all the time. We get off course. And in this place, God, there's no shame in admitting that we have sinned against you. There's no shame in admitting that we've contributed to the problems that I listed and many others and that we desperately need your forgiveness. That you are the author of our story, of our lives, that you designed every one of us for a purpose and that we need to be forgiven for the things that weigh us down and hold us back. But God, don't let us stay there. Jesus, send us out into the world that you love, that you gave your life for, that we might be a light 
that people might see the inbreaking of your kingdom coming and want to be part of that too. By the power of your spirit at work in us, God, to your glory, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. If you've never had communion with us before, you come down, you take a piece of gluten-free bread, and you dip it in the juice. And uh, on your way back to your seat, there will be some people from our prayer team who are available to pray for you if you'd like to pray for them. Feel free to express to them that you're interested in being baptized if you'd like. Jesus has done something for us that nobody else can do. And every week we have the ability to receive that one more time and to remember what he's done for us. You don't have to be a member of Mill City Church. You simply have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to come up and receive communion. So as soon as you're ready, as the song's playing, come forward and receive communion.